Welcome to the Moving Markets podcast on Thursday, the 26th of October, with me, Bernadette Anderko. Today, John T. Warris will be bringing us up to speed on the main events that have been moving the markets right now. And Carsten Menke is going to update us on the implications of what China's infrastructure boost announced this week might mean for commodities. And then Ronnie Kaufman will share the latest thoughts from our investment committee with us. But first, let's start with what's been moving markets overnight. Good morning, John T. Good morning, Bernadette. Now, yesterday was a quieter day in terms of data releases, but we did see US new home sales out for September. So perhaps we could start there. What what can you tell us? Yes, uh, figures showed that US new home sales rose by a staggering 12.3% from August to September to an annual rate of 759,000 year on year, while expectations were for a more modest rebound in new home sales. Now, perhaps as a reminder for our listeners, these numbers are seasonally adjusted and refer to how many homes would be built over an entire year if builders were to continue at the same price every month. Um, Now, with new home sales in the US at their highest level in 19 months, this suggests that buyers are continuing to enter the housing market despite soaring mortgage rates that we're seeing at the moment. The annual median house price dropped by the most since 2009 as home builders uh, extended discounts in an attempt to entice buyers, which is perhaps just as well as this comes as the price of a mortgage, which rose again last week, um, is now the highest in 23 years. Uh, These figures are quite surprising and the data will likely further strengthen the case for the Fed to keep policy rates higher for longer at its next FOMC meeting on the 1st of November. Okay, so um, closer to home here in Europe then, following the lacklustre flash private sector PMI numbers earlier this week, which showed that the German economy remained in contraction in October. Yesterday, we had German business sentiment data released. Can you fill us in on the details there, please? Yeah, that's right. The um, disappointing preliminary PMI numbers that you mentioned from Germany in the Eurozone um, sent the DAX into quite negative territory earlier this week, where we saw an unexpected contraction in German services sector. Um, And as you mentioned yesterday, we saw slightly more encouraging data from Germany's IFO business climate survey for October. This showed a reading of 86.9, which was higher than economists' forecasts and also up from September's slightly revised reading of 85.8. Uh, This data shows us that morale among German businesses edged up for the first time in six months in October, but that their mood remained subdued and uh, with a second recession within a year not yet off the cards. Okay, so now moving across to the US, uh, Kevin McCarthy was ousted as the Speaker of the Representatives by the hard right Republicans three weeks ago. I believe that finally last night the US has appointed a new Speaker. Can you reveal who it is for us, please? That's right, Benedette. Well, his name is Mike Johnson. And yes, he was elected Speaker by the full House on a first vote yesterday. Uh, Johnson is relatively unknown. He's a staunchly conservative Republican from Louisiana. And he's an ally of former President Donald Trump. uh, And he also opposed certifying the 2020 election. He's anti-abortion and opposes sending aid to Ukraine. And Johnson will now take the reins of the bitterly divided House Republican majority and faces the looming threat of a government shutdown next month. Okay, now uh, news and data points aside, it seems that corporate earnings are having more of an impact on the market moves this week. So why don't we move to markets now? What was the main action in the US yesterday? Yes, US stocks finished lower again yesterday near their worst levels in a broad sell-off as Google parent Alphabet shares slid after reporting quite disappointing earnings and also as treasury yields uh, rose reigniting fears that interest rates could stay higher for longer 
The benchmark S&P 500 index notched its fifth daily decline in six to close below the closely watched 4,200 level. The Nasdaq Composite slumped to its biggest single session percentage drop since the 21st of February, with mega caps, which are particularly sensitive to high interest rates, dragging down the tech heavy index. Uh, in fixed income, US two-year treasury yields slipped one basis point to 5.11, while 10-year yields are slightly up to 4.97, and 30-year yields advanced to around 5.12% uh, when I checked a moment ago. And oil has steadied uh, this morning after jumping yesterday on signs that Israel will go ahead with a ground invasion of Gaza, reviving concerns that the conflict uh, could escalate and threaten energy supplies. Okay, uh, what can we expect in terms of the day ahead then, Dante? In terms of central bank policy, at 2.15 uh, Central European time today, we can expect the latest rate decision by the ECB, where expectations are for a pause in rates. In a poll by Reuters last week, all 85 economists surveyed expected the ECB to leave rates on hold. And shortly before the ECB, uh, the Central Bank of Turkey will also announce its latest rate decision, where expectations are for a steep hike in its policy rates to 35% up from the current 30%. The Turkish central bank is struggling to keep a lid on inflation, which climbed as high as 61.5% in September. In terms of economic data, we can expect a host of US data releases, including US GDP and durable goods orders, as well as Spain's Q3 unemployment figures. And elsewhere, investors will likely be turning their attention to company earnings, as you mentioned before, with Unilever, Mercedes-Benz and Amazon set to report today, while the trajectory of bond yields and the Japanese yen will also remain in focus. And a quick look at the futures board currently shows US equities set for a negative open later today. And that's it from me for today, Bernadette. Great. Thanks, John T, for that comprehensive update. Thanks very much. Now, as I mentioned earlier, China has announced a massive boost to its infrastructure budget. Uh, this has got certain implications for various parts of the commodities asset class. And I'm delighted that we've got our head of next generation research, Karsten Menke, here with us to discuss this with me a little. Good morning, Karsten. Uh, hello. Good morning, Benedict. So this week, China's announced a one trillion yuan loan, which was approved by the National People's Congress. Does this mean that they're finally stimulating the economy? Well, I think it's no secret that the Chinese government has been searching for solutions to bring the economy back on track. In the past, what they often did was to build their way out of a slump via infrastructure investments or property investments. And even though this one trillion Chinese yuan is uh, earmarked for infrastructure, it is not that easy anymore to have an impact from our point of view. Could you perhaps explain for our listeners why that is? Because a trillion yuan sounds like a lot of money. Indeed, indeed. But China is a huge economy. And in terms of growth impact, one trillion does yield much less growth percentage-wise today than it did a year ago. So let's put it into perspective. China's annual infrastructure investments are around 15 trillion yuan. Hence, the loan accounts for an additional spending of around 6 to 7% but it will be spread over two years, which means that we are essentially talking about 3 to 3.5% 3 per annum. And if we assume that infrastructure investments make up around 10% of China's overall economy, the impact of this $1 trillion loan becomes even smaller, no matter what kind of multiplier effect you incorporate. So long story short, the loan does not move the needle for the Chinese economy in our view, but it is an important signal from the government to improve the sentiment among the people and also within financial markets. So that's what we've seen since the news. Iron ore and steel prices, for example, started to move higher. 
Okay, so does that mean there's more to come in terms of metal prices? It seems rather not. No, rather not. Well, yeah, we have to differentiate a bit between the fundamental impact, so the change in the supply and demand balance, and the market mood, so what investors make out of the news uh, in the short term. And the fundamental impact is really quite small. The stimulus does not change the balance in the iron ore and steel markets. If at all, it could have an impact on the cement market because most of the segment uh, which are earmarked are more cement intense. And in terms of the impact on the market mood, I'd be very surprised to see a longer lasting rally due to this news. But you never know. So the domestic Chinese futures markets are quite prone to speculation from smaller investors and thus also very prone to sentiment swings. That said, ultimately, prices always reflect the supply and demand balance. That's what our experience is. And based on that, we should see lower rather than higher prices as the headwinds from the all-important property market persist. All right. So uh, what does that mean then in terms of your view on the metals? Well, clearly, we remain most cautious on iron ore as it is most strongly exposed to the headwinds from the property market. We're neutral on aluminium, which is a market that is, has a more diverse demand backdrop. And we are still constructive on copper due to the long-term positive impact from the energy transition. This should offset any headwinds coming from China. Thank you very much for your insights, Carsten, and for putting the loan into perspective today. Thank you. And now it's Thursday, so it's time to catch up with the latest thoughts from our investment committee. And today, Ronnie Kaufman's going to share the views. Good morning, Ronnie. Good morning, Baronet. So then uh, we might as well get straight to the point. What's, what's the latest news from the investment committee? Absolutely. Well, you know, as always at this time of the year, the focus of the investment committee is on the so-called secular outlook. The secular outlook is an essential part of Julius Baer's investment process. And it centers around the two-day off-site where Julius Baer's senior investment experts, together with selected external participants, gather to systematically reassess structural trends that shape economies and financial markets. Because, you know, as long-term investors, we simply cannot afford to swim against the tide. And we therefore need to get a solid grip on the prevailing gravitational forces and align our portfolios accordingly. In this way, we aim to ensure that our clients reach their investment objectives with an acceptable range of potential outcomes. Okay, so then uh, what was the focus of the discussion at this uh, Secular Outlook offsite? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because at last year's offsite, we concluded that the world had never changed as dramatically as it did in the preceding 12 months. So, Back one year ago, we concluded that the Ukraine war had propelled us into a new investment paradigm. But at the same time, we were also very careful to distinguish between cyclical moves and truly structural changes. Because, you know, the global economy has just suffered from two massive successive external shocks since 2020. And these shocks, exacerbated by unprecedented monetary and fiscal policy actions, have created massive distortions in both economic and financial cycles and uh, eventually also sparked inflation for the first time in decades. And then in the face of these developments, monetary policymakers have raised interest rates out of the realm of financial repression and also began to shrink their balance sheets. 
which quickly also marked the end of the 40-year bull market in bonds. You know, we have to admit that structural trends are always very difficult to identify in the first few years because they're basically just beginning to emerge. However, uncertainty is compounded, obviously, when a radical shift in the investment paradigm is at hand, such as the one we have identified, namely from neoliberalism to what we call state-sponsored capitalism. Well, but there is also good news, because structural visibility, which was unusually low in recent years, has been gradually improving. And it turned out that we were right about our take on some of the formative events of recent years, where we resisted the temptation to draw hasty conclusions from them for the decade as a whole. So what are the defining economic trends this decade then, Ronnie? Yes. um, So overall, the collective thinking centers around five key areas. First, the peace dividend is over. We believe that we are in a truly multipolar world where investments in supply chain resilience are made under the banner of reshoring initiatives. Crucially, these initiatives are limited to critical supplies, i.e. they are of a strategic rather than a broad-based nature. Second, we see that active industrial and fiscal policies are central elements in the current environment, which have been further accelerated by the new geopolitical situation. Such measures are increasingly driving our economies, while monetary policy is relegated to a rather subordinate role. Third, against this backdrop, we are witnessing the normalization of interest rates at the way more faster speed than previously expected. This is fundamentally a healthy development in a capitalist system that also creates opportunities. Fourth, we believe there is a good chance that we are on the cusp of an innovation supercycle driven by the convergence of multiple technologies, which includes artificial intelligence, which in the end could enable massive productivity gains in this decade. And then lastly, uh, China is in a balance sheet recession, which will structurally weaken domestic private sector demand for the foreseeable future until the associated imbalances are eliminated. Okay, so in light of these uh, economic trends, which investments do we believe should profit? Yes, uh, you know, referring back to the interest rate normalization and uh, given the fact that bonds are no longer priced for confiscation, we expect a revival of income investing. And for a good reason. You know, income investing is not limited to fixed income, but it is clear that bond markets have suffered on a historic scale over the past two to three years, which in turn bodes well for prospective returns. The lightning speed of the normalization of interest rates, uh, as alluded to earlier, opens up a window of opportunity for bonds to perform. But then in the medium to long term, you know, state-sponsored capitalism as the new overarching paradigm largely still favors real assets over nominal claims. And in jurisdictions where investors are comfortable with the relevant political risk. Overall, we believe that the investment opportunity set has shrunk with the return of geopolitical conflicts in a multipolar world. So investors should basically continue to favor quality, which can be found predominantly in store-of-value equity markets. Next, in the current decade, the typical transition in market leadership from information technology to commodities 
which by the way provides another way of looking at whether US assets are to outperform or underperform their global counterparts, is not playing out. The US dollar bull regime that began in the aftermath of the global financial crisis is still in place, and current evidence points to a continuation of the dominance of US dollar-denominated assets in a global capital market context. So in light of the new geopolitical reality, there is simply no sizable alternative to US dollar capital markets for Western investors. And then lastly, you know, it is not hard to imagine that entering an innovation supercycle would allow for significant value creation among the respective market leaders. Historically, the Nasdaq has been at the forefront in such supercycles, but innovative disruptors are selectively also to be found in other domiciles. So, yes, these are a few preliminary insights, and uh, we definitely look forward to share more with our audience here later this year, when we will also publish our regular secular outlook brochure. With that, back to you, Bernadette. Ronnie, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's uh, great at this time of year to get an update on what our investment committee and analysts are expecting going forwards. Well, that's it for today's podcast. I'd like to thank my guests for contributing and of course you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on whichever platform you use to listen to us. And meanwhile, I hope that you'll be back tomorrow when Marcus Allensbach will join us to review the ECB decisions and their implications. And Tim Gagey will have the weekly currency roundup and ideas. Meanwhile, good luck today and goodbye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information. Für unsere deutschsprachigen Zuhörer, we would also like to make you aware of Marktanalysen und Gespräche, a monthly podcast in German, where Julius Baer experts discuss some of the latest market developments. We share our key research and insights on today's ever-changing economic landscape in German. Search for Marktanalysen und Gespräche on your favorite podcast player.